We love, thank you. Uh, we love you guys. Um, love you being here. Uh, we're going to be in First uh, Samuel 29 this morning. If this is your first time being with us, or you haven't been here in a while, we've been going through First Samuel for a long time, for about a year. That's what we do. And heads up, we're probably going to go directly into Second Samuel. Well, the thing is, is that it was always one book, and so you can't really stop because we got to get into David and him becoming king, and it's just, it's going to keep getting gooder and gooder. So if you don't know the story, let me, you just got to know three main players in this story. King Saul, current king of Israel, King David, or David, soon to be king of Israel, Philistines, enemy of Israel, Okay. So let's read it, First uh, Samuel 29. Then the Philistines gathered together all their armies at Aphek, and the Israelites encamped by a fountain which is in Jezreel. And the lords of the Philistines passed in review by hundreds and by thousands, but David and his men passed in review at the rear with a kish. And the princes of the Philistines said, What are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the princes of the Philistines, Is this not David, the servant of, the, of Saul, the king of Israel, who has been with me these days or these years? And to this day I have found no fault in him since he defected to me. But the princes of the Philistines were angry with him. So the princes of the Philistines said to him, Make this fellow return that he may go back to the place which you have appointed for him. And do not let him go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he become become our adversary. For with what could he reconcile himself to his master if not with the heads of these men? Is this not David of whom they sang to one another in dances, saying, Saul has slain ten thousands and David his ten thousands? Then Achish called David and said to him, Surely as the Lord lives, you have been upright, and you're going out and you're coming in with me, and the army is good in my sight. For to this day I have not found evil in you since the day of your coming to me. Nevertheless, the lords do not favor you. Therefore, return now and go in peace, that you may not displease the Lord of the Philistines." So David said to Achish, but what have I done? And to this day, what have you found in your servant as long as I have been with you that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my lord, the king? Then Achish answered and said to David, I know that you are as good in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the princes of the Philistines have said he shall not go up with us into the battle. Now, therefore, rise early in the morning with your master's servants who have come with you. And as soon as you're up early in the morning and have light, depart. So David and his men rose early to depart in the morning and returned to the land of the Philistines. And the Philistines went up to Jezreel. Here we are again with David making bad decisions again. Recap the story. And, and, and I always like to recap the story because even myself, sometimes I read these stories and I'm like, what's going on in this story? Let me give me the quick version, Okay. David just came out of a situation where he was with Saul and he was like, touch not God's anointed. I'm not going to do anything to hurt Saul because I love God and I love Israel. And now we find that he has taken up residence camping with the enemies of Israel, the Philistines. So there's actually a review where the, the, the main king's sitting there and there's all these troops marching by and they see their own troops of the Philistines and then the king's looking back and he's like, isn't that a bunch of Hebrews in the back of our own army? Like, why is David here with all these troops? And the under king, Achish, is like, well, he's kind of with us now, huh? He brought his guys and they're going to help us and we're going to, yeah, this will be good. 
And the main king's like, hold on a second here. He's in bad way with Saul, and there would be nothing better for him to do than to be with us in battle against his own people and then turn on us. Even the enemy could see how dumb it was for David to be with the enemy. And so they say, no, 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 he's not going into battle with us. So then they go, and then... Akish goes to David and, and says like, Hey man, sorry, you don't get to go to war with us. And so David goes, What have I done? Like, I've, I've done nothing wrong. I've helped, I've helped you with the enemy ever since I've been here. And the guy's like, Yes, you have. We love you. We love what you've done for us. We love that you're helping us against your own people. <laughs> Nevertheless, you don't get to go to war with us because that just doesn't seem right. See, I don't believe that David should have been with the enemy at all. I, I believe that he should have just repented and went off to a cave again. But instead, he goes and camps up with the enemy again. What the heck, David? What are you doing? What are you doing? But if you're anything like me, there's probably been times in your life where you've walked with God and you've done powerful things with God. And then you turn around and your life has drifted away and you find yourself in the enemy's camp and you're like, how did I end up here again? Why, why is it that I'm in the enemy's camp again? This wasn't my intention. This wasn't my desire. I want to touch not God's anointed. I want to be the next king. But I find myself once again in the enemy's camp so deeply that I'm actually turning against my own people and destroying the people of God and helping the enemy. So what do you do? Unlike David who says, what have I done? He should have asked, what have I done? There's a big difference between what have I done? Between what have I done? David should have been asking that question instead of defending what he had already done. David's life is so messed up at this point that even the enemy doesn't want him. The enemy says like, hey man, you're you're, you're no no use to us. Because if you're going to turn on your own people, you're going to turn on us. We don't want nothing to do with you, David. Well, what have I done? Is what David asked. Why, Why can't I go with you guys? Well, David, you camped with the enemy. You wanted their approval. You defected to the enemy. You were willing to fight against your own people. You treated the enemy well. They, they said to you, David, well, I found no evil in you because he was treating them so well. You wanted to please the enemy leader so deeply that they said, well, we, we don't want to do this because we want to please the lords of the Philistines. What have you done, David? Just about everything wrong possible. You used to say, touch not God's anointed, and now you're willing to fight your own people. You're blaming the congregation of Israel for the actions of one man. Sermon in there somewhere. That an individual would turn against the whole congregation of Israel because of the actions of one man. You've lost your love of the Lord, David. You are lost. What have you done? David, have you examined yourself? Have you examined yourself? See, David hasn't been looking at his actions and desires. He's too focused on other people's problems. He had lost Psalm 139 that says, 
Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That, that's the correct heart to have at this moment. When you find yourself in the enemy's camp and all this stuff, he, he should have examined himself and been like, dude, what's wrong with me? Like, how did I end up in this place? But no, he, he doubles down after they say, you're not good enough to even go with us in war against your own people. And he's like, well, what, what have I done? I've treated you guys so well since I've been here. The correct heart is search me and know my heart. But that's not the heart that David had right at this moment. No, he camped with the enemy. He wanted their approval. He wanted the approval of the enemy. He defected to them. He was willing to fight against his own people. Had David examined himself in this moment, he would have found that there were some things that he needed to work on. If he would have gone in that moment and said, well, maybe I should do a self-inventory here, a little bit of self-examination. Do you guys see there's anything I could be doing differently? Something I could have done differently? Uh, Yeah, there's a lot of stuff. Sadly, many people struggle with this. Say amen if you know someone that struggles with this. Not you. People, we'll just say that. We'll just say people. However they may be. People. People struggle with self-reflection. They overestimate their abilities and think they are better than they are. They play up their successes and downplay their defeats. They, They look at their life in a way that life is what happens to me. Everybody else is in control of my happiness and my destiny and my future. I have no control. I'm at the whim of everybody else. They lack self-awareness. They can't see their blind spots. They think they're farther along. People. Nay, I would offend your sensibilities. Instead of laying bare before the Lord, asking Him to reveal anything in you that needs to change, people lack examination and self-awareness. Lamentations 3.40 says, Let us search out and examine our ways and turn back to the Lord. But David isn't doing this. He's resisting. He's saying, What have I I done? But not reflective. Missing the opportunity to grow from his failures and take an honest inventory of where he's at and what he's doing. I used to have a sergeant in the army that used to say, We learn more from our failures than our successes. When you succeed, you rarely look back and think, how did I achieve success? But if you have a good enough failure, if you're smart, you got half a brain, you'll look at that failure and say, how did I end up in this place and how do I not end up there again? What does it mean to you? Are you reflecting? No. Okay, we shall continue. That was the opportunity for everybody to give a resounding yes. Then we can all go home and go eat chicken wings or whatever it is you're going to do today. But you didn't say it. You had a chance. So we shall continue. Are you examining who you are and what you're doing? I get it, man. Self-examination is painful. Why is it painful? Because when you examine, you find out there's stuff you need to work on. Nobody likes it. No one says like, hey, man, what are you doing this weekend? Sitting around, man, self-reflecting. Inventory time. What's wrong with me and what do I need to fix? 
Truth is, many people struggle with this because they can't face the reality of who they are and what they do. If if their hearts were laid bare before God, they would be faced with the reality of their wickedness and they'd have to actually respond to it. They'd have to actually work on it. Broken relationships, haughty attitudes, inconsistencies, hypocrisy, destruction, doubt. See, the Bible makes it very clear in 2 Corinthians 13, 5. It says, therefore, examine other people to see whether or not they're in the faith. (laughs) Test them. Do you not know that if you don't test them, that you can't see whether or not they've been disqualified? No, the Bible says, examine yourselves as to whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. See, a Christian should be spending time before God asking, Lord, what is it in me that you do not like that you want to change about me? Because if you don't ask that question, you can find yourself with the enemy and then asking, how did I end up here? But a Christian willfully submits himself to examination and says, Lord, search me, try me, examine me. Lord, why do I do this? And what can you do in me through the power of the Holy Spirit to fix it? How am I the contributing factor to my own destruction? I mean, the Bible even says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight, but but let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. We do this every month when we do communion. And we actually come up and we ask and we say, examine yourself before you take communion. Why? Because the Bible says if you take communion without examining yourself, you literally bring damnation upon yourself. If you don't examine yourself first. And so the Bible says, man, you should take a couple minutes and be like, man, am I holding an offense? Am I not living how I need to live? And then you get that moment to be like, God, make me right. And I love you. And I want to be where I need to be. Because if not, you can bring damnation upon yourself. People will not go to the doctor because they're afraid to know what's up. Your heart condition is even worse. Many people, and I, and I get it, man. People, people will look at me and, and, and watch my life, and you're, you're, you're judging me right now in your heart anyway. Like, you watch me, like, man, why is he wearing that, and his hair, and his jewelry, and posting on Facebook, and his wife's shoes, and whatever. Right? I mean, this is what people do. And, and some people erroneously, big E, think that I don't know who I am. I think, man, that guy must be totally oblivious. I am not oblivious to who I am, what I do, how I do it, and why I do it. I, like, I have lived a life of self-reflection from literally elementary school. I know who I am. I, I, I know what I am, and I know what I'm capable of. I may not exactly be able to fix everything, but I'm aware of it. And, I, and by, by God's grace, I am trying. I'm trying with everything inside of me to try to fix those things. I ask the Lord to examine me, to reveal those things inside of me that need to change, that aren't of Him, that are hurting my relationships. I am inconsistent with my habits. Sometimes I think evil thoughts. I often lack empathy. I cut people out of my life to protect my heart. Why? Because I'm a divorced child. 
at my parents divorced when I was three. That's what you do to protect your heart is you cut people out and you distance yourself from them because you get tired of being hurt. Yeah. I know that. That's something about me that's not good. I often explode in anger. I expect from others what I don't expect of myself. Yeah. I'm talking about me. Oftentimes I have lack of faith. I'm lazy at times. I hide from conflict that needs to happen. I, me, Matt Krachunas, purposefully pretend I didn't see or hear something so I don't have to be held accountable for it. I often worship the opinions of men. I worry about my future. I ruminate on things that I need not ruminate on for an extended period of time. Don't say to me, I don't know myself. I know myself. I haven't even, that's the stuff I'm willing to share. I don't think we have time to just go through all the stuff that I need to work on in my life. And I don't share that because I need your pity or your adoration. I don't want to sit here and, and, and preach the scriptures at you and pretend in some way that I'm grandstanding. You're like, well, he's got stuff to work on. Listen, man, how much time you got? I know who I am because I spend time before God asking him, saying, examine me. If I'm going to lead your church, if I'm going to lead your people, God, I've got to be better than who I am. 2 Peter 1.10, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. I don't know about you, man, but I want to make it to heaven. I want want to go to heaven. I want to live life everlasting. I want to stand before Jesus and have him look at Matt and say, Well done, good and faithful servant. I don't want want him to be like, I don't want that. And I get it, man. Self-examination is painful. It's the worst. You know, Crystal and I, we, we've been working out together ever since we've been married. We've been married for 21-something years. We used to go work out at the post-gym. And, 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 and so last couple months, the trainer, and I've told you guys, the trainer at the gym, for some reason we become his little project. And, and it's interesting, when, when, when he started talking to us, my initial response is always like, bro, but check out what I've been doing for the last 20 years. Right? Because what, what's funny is that when he started to train us, he doesn't care about biceps and pecs. He wants to focus on the core. He wants to focus on here. And I'm like, but check out these biceps. Check out these pecs. You know what I mean? No, no guy goes into the gym going, bro, we're going to hit core hard today. No, man, curls for the girls. Right? Skies out, thighs out. You know what I mean? No, no guy comes up and is like, bro, how's your core? They're like, dude, how much can you bench? It doesn't matter if you've got chicken legs. Bro, I can bench. You know what I'm saying? But the trainer says... We want to work on your core because you're middle-aged. Dang it. How did that happen? He said, you work on your core, it's going to help you with your slips, trips, and falls when you get into your 60s. But the time to work on it is now. Well, I don't want to focus on what I'm bad at. I want to focus on what I'm good at. There might be a sermon in there. A lot of times people want spiritual biceps without working on their spiritual core. David asked, what what have I done? David, have you you been honest with yourself? 
Like you, you can examine yourself, but once you've examined yourself, are you willing to be honest with yourself? See, David was telling himself lies. He says, I, I haven't done anything. I haven't done anything. He wasn't just not examining himself. He wasn't being honest with himself. Remember, this is the guy that killed Goliath. This is the guy that fought lions and bears. This is the future king. This is the guy that led people and slayed the Philistines. He did all these great things. But in this moment, he lacks honesty about where he's at spiritually. Bro, you're with the enemy. You're fixing to attack your own people. Yeah. He's unwilling to even admit that what he has done and what he is doing is wrong. As many of you know, I was in the military. I was in the army for six years. And the Uniform Code of Military Justice, the UCMJ, it's the one that covers all five branches of the military, says that if you furnish arms to the enemy, that's aiding and abetting the enemy. Protecting the enemy, passing on intel to the enemy, even communicating with the enemy is punishable by death. And I don't care what history book you read, there is not one army in the history of humanity that would say, if you help the enemy, that's okay. That doesn't even have to be Bible teaching. That's just like, it's basic warfare, right? I mean, it's like, you're on this team, you're not on that team. If you help the other team, we're going to kill you. David should have been saying, examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my mind and heart. He's not doing that now. He's not being honest. He's looking past his sin into the enemy's camp, trying to help them. See, Job was the first book written in the Bible. And so to me, it's very primary in my belief because if you look at something that's the first book, there's so much truth in it that's kind of building on everything else. And in Job 13, 23, Job even asked, how, how many are my iniquities and sins? Let me know my transgression and my sin. From the beginning of the foundations of who we are as Christians, we've been a self-reflective people. Yeah. Or at least we should be. Yeah. That, we, that we should be before God examining ourselves. The problem is, is that we're so over-scheduled and, and, and over-screened and, and over-timed that, that we don't even have time to sit before God for 15 minutes and say, God, try me, examine me, fix me, change me. Spend more time worrying about yourself and not about other people. See how much you grow. But after you've examined yourself, you've you've got to be honest with yourself. Because if you're not, you're never going to grow into who God needs you to be for the kingdom. You must examine yourself. And when you find that inside of yourself, you've got to be honest with God. You've got to say, do you want Lord? Yes. Yes, you're right, Father. This is a part of me that needs to change. This is a part of me that I haven't submitted to you. This is a part of me that that is icky and nasty. Friend, your relationships are struggling because of your lack of honesty. Your marriage relationship, your friendships, because you refuse to be honest before God. People are avoiding you because you have refused to be honest. You are not getting promoted at work because you refuse to be honest. You are not having influence in your life because you refuse to be honest. And you're not even experiencing all that life has to offer because you refuse to be honest. It's painful to see your flaws, man. It's embarrassing. Some of the most embarrassing things are when someone has to show something to me about me and I'm like, dang it. It's It's kind of like bad breath. Everyone else knows it except for you. People know your stuff. 
you know, it's interesting. Crystal and I, we do some marriage counseling. And uh, uh, people, people will come and, and, and not counseling, help. I don't do counseling. Well, sometimes individuals will come to individuals will come to me because they want to talk to me about their marriage relationships, and and it's very interesting being in my position. People come to me usually once, and then they'll they'll come because what they're looking for is they're looking for someone to be on their side to explain why their spouse is so horrible. Because the spouse is the problem in the relationship. It's not the individual, right? And you, you should see, it's like I, I literally, I could be an umpteen gazillionaire if I could do a reality show. It would be the best one ever because people are like, where's, 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 where? And then, like, once they are done talking and I'm like, oh, oh, so that's about your spouse. I take out my spiritual flashlight and I shine it on their hearts. I said, let's we'll talk about you. Let's talk about how you're contributing to this. And the look on their face is like, oh my gosh, how do I get out of here? I thought we were going to talk about how my spouse was so horrible. I'm like, but your spouse isn't in the room. We don't talk about people that aren't in the room. You're here. Let's talk about what you do wrong. They're like, well, it's all my spouse's fault. It's not the truth, folks. The problem in your relationships are Y-O-U. There's only one person that's a perfect spouse, and it's my wife. She's perfect. She really is. She really is. She is such a gem. And I, I, like, literally 90% of the problems in our relationship are mine. They really are. It's just true. I, I can realize it. But you have to be honest. You have to be honest to say, man, like, what, what is the contributing factor of my destruction? How am I ruining my relationships with what I'm doing? You have to be honest with yourself about your sin and your shortcomings. You have to. Titus 1.16 says, watch this. They profess to know God, but in works they deny Him. Being abominable, disobedient, disqualified for every good work. Are you professing to know God and then denying Him in your works? And I, and I get it, man. Self-reflection. Self-examination, uh, uh, self-honesty. Some people think that I don't know what I'm doing up here. Okay? I, I don't get some sort of macabre pleasure from coming down here and screaming at you about the scriptures. I, I, I wish with everything inside of me that as your pastor that you would understand that the reason I preach the way that I do is because I'm going to answer to God for it and I love you and I love Him. But it's not easy. It's not easy. I want people to like me. I want people to think that I'm nice and everything else. And so when you come down and you preach a message that's challenging and hurts people, people avoid you. They don't, they don't want to listen. They don't, they don't want to be a part of the, 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 the process. But I'm going to answer to God for it. And so I, I, I fear God more than I fear man. But, but I have sat here over the last 16 years. 16 years. And I've literally sat here in church and I've watched people that will pray and worship and kiss my spiritual backside for years. And then it comes out. Adultery, child molestation, prostitution, 
stealing from work, talking bad about people in the church, uh, 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 plans for destruction, some of, the, some of the most grievous sins that are possible in humanity, and they lied to me and lied to the church for years. Yeah. Years. Even under preaching such as this. And so when people say, why does he preach like that? Because, friend, I'm doing everything within my power to bring a spirit of honesty into your life that you will not see destruction, that I will not visit you in prison and seeing you cry through a window saying, how come you never told me? Friend, I will tell you until the day that I die. I don't want to sell ice cream and have people like me. I want to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Suffer what may come. The culprit is always lack of honesty. And the path to dishonesty starts with comparing yourself to other's sin. Oh, I'm better than this man. You minimize your own sin. You you tell yourself half-truths. You cover up your transgressions before God and others. Folks, wide is the path that leads to destruction. Narrow is the path that leads to life. One of the scariest verses in the Bible is Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name? In your name do we not do many wonderful works? In your name do we not cast out devils? And I will say to those people, I say, uh, I never knew you. I never knew you. Lord, Lord, on that last day when we not come and say we attended church on a regular basis, we paid our tithes and we volunteered. And the Lord will say to many on that day, away from me, I never knew you. Pretending that I'm somewhere where I need to be without recognizing there's something inside of me that needs to be changed by God. In the book of Ezekiel, and Ezekiel was a prophet of God, and he, like many prophets, were trying to get people to turn their hearts towards God. Man, I I wish that I had someone in my life that cared about my spiritual development as much as the pastors of this church care about yours. Man, I wish it. So Ezekiel is preaching to the people of Israel on how to turn back to God. And God speaks to Ezekiel here. And and, and this is what it says. It says, as for you, son of man, God speaking to Ezekiel, the children of your people are talking about you beside the walls and in the doors of the houses. And they speak to one another, everyone saying to his brother, please, please, come and hear the word that it comes from the Lord. So they come to you as, as people do, and they, they sit before you as my people, and they hear your words, but they do not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. Indeed, you are to them as a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. For they hear your words, but they don't do them. And when this comes to pass, surely it will come, then they will know that a prophet has been among them. I get it, man. I'm a good preacher. And I don't mean that, I don't mean that pridefully. I, I preach well. I know it. And a lot of people love to come listen to me preach, but it's utter, utter and complete nonsense to come and listen to me preach and do nothing with it. Right. What am I, a monkey? And you put the coin in, you turn the thing, and then I come up here and dance like, oh man, that preacher, he's the best. I don't want your adoration. I want you to do the word of the Lord. Yeah. And there are things that are wrong with my life. I don't hide them. I expose them. 
I mean, I expose them before you because I want you to realize that I know that there's stuff that I need to work on. But there's stuff that I just have to, I have to, you know, be laid bare before another person. There's times I talk to Jay. I'm like, dude, there's this stuff I got to work on, man. And it, but we trust each other and we love each other and we yeah. hold each other's confidence. But I expose it because if you don't expose it when it's small, it turns into something big. Yeah. And then the next thing you know, you're on the news and you're a cautionary tale. David, what have you done? David, where is your allegiance? If you, if, if you look at the problems in your life uh, as it pertains to God, it's typically an allegiance problem. Yeah. It's an allegiance problem because uh, uh, allegiance uh, d- displays in your life. What does allegiance mean? Loyalty or commitment of a subordinate to a superior yeah. or of an individual to a group or a cause. Had David maintained his allegiance to God, he wouldn't have found himself in this predicament. At all. I mean, because here, here's the question when it comes to allegiance. And I, and I ask this of David uh, as much as I ask it of myself or of you. Who are you trying to please? Because if David had been trying to please God instead of pleasing the enemy, he wouldn't have an allegiance problem. But his allegiance was not to God. He wanted the approval of the enemy. He wanted, he wanted to be well regarded by the enemy. He had an allegiance problem seems like when things get hard in your life, David, you run into the arms of the enemy and start to attack your own people. You don't repent. You don't examine. You aren't honest. Who do you give glory? Who do you have allegiance to, David? Yourself, to man, or to God? Psalm 79.5 in the Amplified says, How long, O Lord, will you be angry forever? Shall your jealousy, which cannot endure a divided allegiance, burn like fire? Folks, God does not allow or desire any allegiance to anything or or anyone other than Him. Read your Bibles. God demands your total and complete allegiance in everything. There's no, there's no halfway serving God. There's no somewhat serving God. There's only 100%. That's all that it is. And, and, and I'll tell you, the scripture that's been in my mind for the last year, I, I reflect on it almost daily, is Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 talks about the relationship between a man and a woman. Wives, submit your husbands unto the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Big treatise that he talks about in, in um, uh, the marriage relationship. And there's this little nugget right in the middle where he says, I speak concerning a great mystery, but I'm speaking of Christ and his church. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know one person that, that is married that would say, I, I, I appreciate that my spouse is faithful to me when they're with me. No one wants to be somewhat married. No one wants to be halfway married. Total and complete allegiance 100% of the time. And if it's not, that marriage will never work and it's not going to last forever. I speak concerning a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and his church. The marriage relationship can be a word picture for us of how we live for Christ. David knew not to associate with the enemy. These are the enemies of God and Israel. Proverbs 21, 21, excuse me, 24, 21 in the Amplified. My son, reverently fear the Lord and the King. Do not associate with those who are given to change of allegiance and are revolutionary. What does it mean to you? Examine yourself. Who, be honest with yourself. Who is your allegiance to? Who, who are you trying to please? 
To whom do you give glory? When, 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 when you look at your life, who, who's the audience that you're hoping is standing by clapping, being like, eh, it's good? Or are you worried about pleasing Him and Him alone? Yeah. Examine your desires, your wants, your needs and plans. I know, I know mine. Like, when I have extra money, I want it for myself. When I have extra time, I want it for myself. If there's a chance for me to look good or look bad, I want to look good. I don't want to look bad. But that shouldn't be a heart condition that God wants. He wants us to please Him and Him alone. And so when those things rise up, I get a check in my spirit. I'm like, okay, that's not of God. I'm going to change the direction. I'm going to do something different because I want to honor God. I'm going to shut my mouth. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to change the direction. You care too much about what your parents think? And I know that some people are like, well, I'm not a kid. Nah, man. But some adults are afraid of their adult parents because they're afraid of missing out on that inheritance. So they don't want to demonstrably serve God because they're like, well, if I, if I start acting how God wants me to act, then maybe my parents are going to cut me out of the inheritance. And so I really care what my parents think about me. And if you're a kid in here, you should care what your parents think about you if they're serving God. But if your parents, if your parents aren't serving the Lord, like you, you need to honor them and love them. But like as a kid, if your parents are leading you towards Jesus, man, do everything that your parents ask you to do because they're 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 trying to do you good and not harm. Amen. Are you trying to please your kids, though, parents? Come on. Are you afraid to tell them no? Come on. Like I raised my kids on the word no. Yeah. Mo- I mean, they, they just learned, man. No matter what it was, man, the answer is just it's just no. Didn't matter what it was, just no. Afraid to set financial limits with your kids and tell your kids, we're not doing that because we want to honor God in this area. We're not spending money on that. We're not, I don't care whether all of your friends are doing that at all. Take away screen time from them. Tell them what friends they can and can't hang out with. My, my son is 19 years old. He still lives in my house. He will for a while because our plan is to get him financially set before he moves out. But he's still in my house. You know, he's 19, and I don't have any problem with telling him, like, dude, you're not spending time with that person. So, well, you're limiting who he is. No, I'm not. I'm managing my household. You want to have your own friends? Get your own car, pay your own insurance, buy your own food, get your own roof over your head. You can live however you want. But if you're in my house, my rules. It's like parents, like the kids will wear these clothes, and they'll be like, well, it's just the way that they wear them. Who bought the clothes? Are they, are they walking out of school and cutting to this before they walk out? Like, set limits with your kids. Like, dude, no, you're not going there. You're not doing that. You're not being a part of that. I don't care if you hate me. No. Quit trying to be your kids' friends, man. They don't need friends. They need parents. Have some grit. Too afraid of what strangers think? Trying to please strangers. I bought this big fancy car and went in debt so I can sit at a stoplight and look at someone else. Galatians 1.10 For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. David should have been concerned with pleasing God. You should be concerned with pleasing God. Does it even get into your mind, your conscience? You should want your life to hear, well done. And so when you have those checks in your spirit, just be like, thank you, Lord. I'll change. 1 Thessalonians 2, 4, But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. Folks, not pleasing God is not trusting God. 
It's saying, you know what? I'd rather camp with the enemy and have their adoration than realizing, man, I'm going to make this decision different in my life and I know it's going to please God. God, I'm going to please you in this area. You're watching. You know that you can fix it. If I give up on this friendship, you'll bring me three more. If If I give up on this financial thing, you'll still take care of me. If I choose to not take this job, if I choose to stand up at work, if I choose to work on anything that's going to please you, God, you're watching and you're going to take care of me. It's interesting. The people that want to please God, I never hear the story of their life being like, my life fell apart because I was trying to please God. It's always like, man, my life is flourishing because I'm trying to please God. You know, um, and we're rounding the corner. We're almost done here. You know, if if we ever have a, a, a meeting with each other, you'll notice that I always take my phone out and I set it on the table when we're meeting. And people, oh, you're so important. You got your phone and blah, blah, blah. Dude, I'll give you all my attention. Unless Crystal calls. Why? Because she's my number one most important earthly relationship. Even above my kids. Kids, voicemail. Like, it's fine. But if Crystal calls, I don't care if you're weeping. I don't care if you're upset. I don't care if this happened. Hold on, Crystal's calling. Yes, dear? Why? Because she's the most important earthly relationship that I have. And so whatever is going on with her is more important than what's going on with you. Any time, day or night. Right? I speak concerning a great mystery. I speak concerning Christ and His church. She can always interrupt me. She can have everything that she needs from me. I mean, I have the same amount in my pocket that I had when I was a teenager. She can have it all. It's fine. Matthew twenty two sixteen, and they sent him, uh, they sent to him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, "Teacher, we know that you are true, Jesus, and teach the way of God in truth. Nor do you care about anyone, for you do not rec- regard the person of men." Amen. Let me read you this last scripture, and then we'll go home. First Corinthians chapter five. Man, First Corinthians chapter five. Yes, 2 Corinthians. I was like, sexual immorality in the church? Let's talk about that too. All right. Oh, man, that's good. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This thing's a page turner, man. You want to get in it? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. For we must all all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done whether good or bad verse 11 knowing therefore the terror of the Lord we persuade men the terror of the Lord because I know the terror of the Lord I want to persuade you But we are well known to God and I also trust are well known in your consciences. Actions, thoughts, deeds, desires, plans. You want God to look at your life and be proud of you. And the greatest thing that he wants from you is your life. Amen? Amen. Examine yourselves. Be honest. Live to please him. Would you close your eyes? Would you bow your heads? If you've never given your life to Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. It's really quite easy. Either you're a Christian or you're not. Either you're giving your life to Him or you haven't. If you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never stood up and said, man, I am done living for myself. I want to be forgiven of my sins. I want to be set free. I want to live life everlasting. 
If you've never made that decision before and you need to do that for the first time, we want to pray with you today. We want to, we want to rejoice with you as you walk away from that life of destruction. And if you've never made that decision before and you'd like to do it for the first time, I'd like you to raise your hand right now and say, that's me, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. Is there anybody that needs to do that for the very first time? Hand held high. Maybe you've been far from God. Not like a, you know, hey, I had a bad month. Like, you've known the truth. You walked in the truth, but it, you've been so far from God. And you're like, how do I even get back? Friend, he's right behind you. Just turn around, fall into his arms. He loved you when you were his enemy. How much more so now that he calls you son or daughter? You don't have to be afraid of him. He loves you. He's ready to receive you once again. He's ready to set you free. If you need to come back to Jesus after being away for a long time, you want to make a declaration today. We want to pray with you. Would you raise your hand right now and say, that's me. I need to come back to Jesus. I see that hand. Is there anybody else? Thank you. I always like to invite you to walk forward and have someone pray with you this morning. You walk forward, someone will pray with you. Brian, will you pray with them, please? We serve a God of reconciliation and redemption. We serve a God that sets free. A God that forgives all our iniquities. There's not a sin that you can commit that He won't forgive you of. He's so gracious. He's so loving. Oh, we love you, Lord. Father, we pray that we would be people that live a life of examination, of honesty, that would be pleasing to you, Lord. That we would not find ourselves in the enemy's camp, but we would live our lives wholly and completely for you. We praise you and we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said amen. 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 Thank you, Pastor Matt. Let's all stand up. So right after this, don't forget, go get your kids. They miss you. Then go to the AMC hangout, get to know each other. And then uh, after 2 o'clock, the revelation class in here. So make sure you come in. It's going to be amazing. Let's pray. Lord, we give you honor. We glorify your holy name for your love, Jesus. We thank you, Father, for the word that's gone forth today, God. We are praying a covering over it in the name of Jesus, Lord. We are asking you, God, that we may open our hearts, so God, this week, Lord, so you can reveal those things, Father, in us, Lord, that are keeping us from you, Jesus. We ask you, God, to, to go deep in and tear apart our, our hearts, O King of glory, God, and rebuild them according to how you want them to be, Jesus. We praise you, we honor you, in Jesus' name, amen. Have a good day.